It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't f*** it up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What's up, Buttercups? Welcome to Mean Age Daydream. A happy holidays to all. A happy Hanukkah to those of you out there of the Jewish religion. I know you've got eight crazy nights. And what are we on? I don't know, like night six? I don't know. I haven't passed any menorahs, uh, frankly, and I usually see a lot of them. I don't know. Maybe there's something going on culturally. I think we all know what we're talking about that uh, perhaps people are deciding not to put them up. Uh, however, I would criticize that and say, look, if you can't put it up now and uh, and take a stand, when can you? But we'll get into all of that and more. Of course, I want to talk a lot about the uh, the Harvard situation, the UPenn situation after the hearing with uh, Elise. I think it's Elise Stefanik. I'm sure I'm saying that's wrong. I say everything wrong because I don't really watch the TV much. I read. But I want to talk about the uh, the testimony from these elite university presidents, the resignations, and where we are and what the implications of this could be for free speech, frankly, um, get into this whole issue. But before I do that, guys, I do want to remind you, you can support us, and we would love it if you did, by hitting that notification button. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on, uh, on Rumble, although I couldn't get the live stream to work, it crapped out after I typed all the information in. It then made me redo it, and I said, fuck you, Rumble. It pisses me off, and I didn't do it. So apologies if you're not watching on Rumble. I will post the video later, though. And uh, make sure, please, subscribe to the podcast. We've got Lions of Liberty Network. We've, of course, got Meet Age Daydream solo feed and Finding Freedom solo feed. If you're a solo feed, if you guys are just tuning in for the first time, we have a fantastic network here. I do our Wednesday show. Monday is Finding Freedom, uh, entrepreneurship, Bitcoin, justice system, all that on Finding Freedom. My show, of course, current events, comedy, and uh, commentary, and, of course, some insight into what's going on with the Libertarian Party, as I am the communications director. And Friday, we wrap it up with Meme Wars, which is our look at uh, a bit funnier, obviously some funny memes in there, but we also do some commentary on breaking news as well. So please subscribe to one or all of those. And if you would like to support us more, we are on Patreon and on Locals with some bonus content uh, regularly, multiple times a week. All right, let's get into it. I, um, as you can tell, my voice is a little bit scratchy today. I was out of town the last few days and I uh, just got back yesterday. Still haven't gotten my voice completely back in from yelling and screaming about the Eagles just sucking the biggest wangage possible on uh, Sunday night football. But what can you say except live to suck another day, right? And I'm going to talk about a story a little bit later. Hillary Clinton, man, that chick loves to suck another day, and she looks like she may get a chance to uh, apply her suckage to the recent Biden campaign efforts. So we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, and get into some Section 702 stuff, too, for FISA. But first things first, I do want to talk about the situation with Harvard. So we have, you know, Elise Stefanik, who... As a Republican out of New York State, she had questioned in what I thought was honestly obnoxious testimony, obnoxious questioning. I hated Kamala Harris. I despised her line of questioning, which has seemingly become the way to do it now, where these guys just bark questions or girls just bark questions and don't let anybody finish and talk over them and scream. It's obnoxious. 
Frankly, it's obnoxious. I don't care who does it. If Kamala Harris did it, uh, it was obnoxious then. Grandstanding BS pisses me off and I hate it. But she did take on the question and pressed these elite university presidents on the question of whether or not calls for genocide against the uh, the Jewish people or for Israel to be eradicated, if that was constituted as harassment or bullying, and if this violated the code of conduct, to which the heads of these universities, 201, had similarly wishy-washy responses. Of course, they were being screamed at the entire time, but they had wishy-washy responses as to this and say, well, sometimes maybe it does, sometimes maybe it doesn't. Now, let me be clear in saying that I do think if there is an actual uh, level of intimidation here that borders on, as I said, harassment in a real way, and we've seen that already, by the way, with harassment of some, they, by the way, this went both ways. I saw harassment of uh, people with at Harvard, mind you, with signs put outside of where they live, harassing them for being anti-Semites because they took a stand against Israel in favor of Palestine. That is harassment. Similarly, I've heard stories of anti-Semitism rising on Harvard at, at other campuses as well. Students being screamed at in public um, for being Jewish. Yes, that is harassment. Now, calling for a genocide of a group of people, I wouldn't say that that is necessarily harassment to an individual, but it certainly would on a college campus create an environment that is antagonistic, that is intimidating. And if you're calling for outright eradication of people, that is a call to violence. A call to violence is not protected speech, right? We've always said that um, that's kind of where the line is drawn. If you're trying, trying to get to, to murder someone, you're saying, go kill that person. That is not so much protected speech. Now, if you're saying it against a government, okay. If you're saying, fuck Israel, you know, go, Israel shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be allowed to do what they're doing, and you take umbrage with the state of Israel, all right. Okay. Say that you can argue against Hamas, I guess, in the same way, right? And, and their government. It's a governmental body. That is political discourse now. And that's where this whole thing gets concerning to me when you're talking about saying, well, you can't say this because it happens to be about the Jewish people. If you're talking about Israel and Palestine and those actions and interactions and the history going on there and, and who's been oppressed where and what, you can't say that you're not allowed to discuss that. And that's why it's interesting to see. You've got the president of UPenn stepping down and her name is, let's see, what is that? Uh, of course, I have eight windows open here. I can't figure out which one of these chicks uh, stepped down, but it was UPenn's president. Leave it at that. She stepped down after her testimony. Harvard, just in the last day or two, has put out a statement from the board saying, we will not fire Claudine Gray, the president of Harvard. Now, Claudine Gray is her own problematic figure because she's been accused of now plagiarism, which, again, I have a bit of an issue with because here's why. Whether or not she plagiarized something, that should have been vetted in advance of this. Now what you have is people that are disliking her from a political perspective that are trying to find ways to oust her, to attack her in any means necessary by going through her historical records of what she submitted to, to find fault, to try to attack her and tear her down. That is the aspect of cancel culture, which I'm not okay with, guys. I'm not okay with people being attacked and, and vultures going through and trying to pick the bones 
to kill somebody off based on something that is completely unrelated from the topic at hand. But they find a way. It's like going through old tweets of somebody's to find a joke they might have made about, I don't know, a 12-year-old kid uh, or making fun of somebody or saying saying somebody was gay or using a, a, now, a word that's now verboten from when they were, you know, 21. I don't think that's okay. I don't think it's appropriate. I think it's a scummy move. I think it goes against everything that I believe in as far as open discourse and keeping on target. So I don't like these calls for her to be, you know, forced out because of, of plagiarism, as serious as that is and should be in academia. I have no problem with them talking about how uh, some of her actions as a member of the Harvard staff, though should get her disqualified. For example, if we're talking about a woman who's a president here who has been now backed by Harvard's board, and they said, well, she embodies everything we want in a president. Well, that means that they also you know, embody everything, not just in what I might say is protected free speech and needs to be open dialogue on college campuses, aka political discourse about things like Israel and Palestine, even if you don't like it, even if it gets, even if you don't like the rallies, the rallies are protected, guys. You need the rallies because just because you don't like one topic, you can't say that that topic can't be discussed. And meanwhile, all these other things can. Again, getting into DIE nonsense, getting into Black Lives Matter, you know, protests, which is one of the things that Claudine Gray is getting some criticism for going through her efforts as a staffer before she was, you know, as, when she was a professor to try to oust another black professor at Harvard, by the way, for his efforts to change the Black Lives Matter narrative. And I've talked about this man in the past. He had done research to show there was essentially no difference between the police shooting white versus black and all this, you know, which completely turns on its head. All the protests about George Floyd, all the protests about why this was happening and how police are just shooting unarmed black people all the time. His research found that that was absolutely fundamentally untrue. This woman that now is Harvard's president and getting the backing of their board had made every effort to get him canceled, get him ousted. So she's a piece of trash. Don't get me wrong. Not only that, but let's not forget that she was up there defending Harvard's blatantly racist <laughs> administration standards, uh, defending affirmative action for everybody but the Asians and saying that Harvard should, should just keep on going as it's going. All these things undermine our highest institutions. What's interesting, if you're watching uh, Elon Musk's tweets, and I had retweeted this myself, is that even CNN and Fareed Zakaria Zachariah, uh, had done a long diatribe on how the elite universities have failed, not only on academic standards, but just a general culture, given up every academic pursuit, every measure of what should and should not make, make a person have a position like Claudine Gray does, whether or not hiring should be based on merit or as we've clearly seen, now it's based on DEI, on where your politics are like a Claudine Gray. So he attacked that and rightly so. Circling all the way, all the way back here, the efforts to get her ousted uh, should exist for every other reason outside of this one, in my opinion. As wishy-washy as the answers might have been here, you have to think about what a difficult perspective this actually this actually is, right? You're talking about an issue wherein historically you've got a very sensitive portion of the population in the the Jewish population, which obviously has gone through things like the Holocaust, like World War II, ongoing Semitism throughout history, right? No one wants to forget that. But at the same time, 
you now have a current situation wherein Israel is a uh, a force that is dominating, destroying, and indiscriminately killing in Gaza. You know, the, the number of, uh, I don't even know what the latest casualty numbers are. I have to look them up. The last ones I saw, this is last week, were 16,000 dead, including 6,000 children. You have to be able to talk about these things on campus. And from a perspective of somebody being questioned on whether or not uh, the calls for genocide would be considered bullying and harassment, the clear answer to that seems like it would be yes. Yes, it is. The Where I think the mistake these people made was saying, well, it depends on the context. As I said at the beginning of this, if you are calling for genocide violence against a people, like a, let's say the Jewish people, and you have Jewish people on campus, well, that certainly seems like it would be a direct call for violence, um, which should not be protected. Yes, that is harassment. That should not be, a, that should not fall under a code of conduct. But that's where the opportunity to say, no, you should not be able to call for genocide against members of the population here on campus, nor really anywhere. And Harvard's president did put out a statement clarifying that later. No, it does not fall under a code of conduct. But <laughs> it is interesting to say, okay, what did they respond with? They said, well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. What they needed to do was say, this, we have to look at this case by case because whether the, we, we have to find out who is calling for genocide, whether they're calling for genocide or whether they are calling for a disruption, a removal of the state of its powers, or they're condemning the actions of Israel and saying that Israel should not be able to exist in this way. This is where all of these efforts by assholes in Congress and other places, which Thomas Massey, to his credit, voted down and, and spoke against this measure to make anti-Zionism equal with anti-Semitism, a concept that makes no sense on any level. You cannot conflate and directly link to a point where now it's hate speech to go against it, attacking a state, which is the Zionist efforts, right? That is the state with anti-Semitism against Jewish people dare you criticize something that a state body is doing, especially when you've got a situation like this. So that's where you get into the weeds here. So yes, I hate Claudine Gray, Claudine, Claudine, I hate her. I despise her with every fiber of my being. I hate what she represents in every way and as well as every one of these elite university presidents who just happen to be women, by the way. Remember, guys, smash the patriarchy. <laughs> I hate everything that these, these elite universities represent. Everything they become is pure trash. And as I think Zechariah pointed out, you know, the people are waking up to this. People don't want degrees anymore. They don't want to even, they don't value college degrees anymore. Now, this is something that we have, have been saying forever. Libertarians have been saying it's forever. A college degree has been so devalued and now, especially in the context of we need electricians and plumbers and carpenters, we need people who know how to do things. And those careers are paying vastly more. And honestly, I bet you have a better quality of life too. I often think about how much I wish, even though, yes, I'm in a position of influence now working with the party. I'm coping. It's going to change the fucking world, what we bring to the table here and what we're going to be doing. But guys, if I was a carpenter, I'm good with my hands. Okay. I know how to build stuff. If were I to, to choose a different life and maybe I still will, I'm 44 in December and, and on the 21st, you can come with me. Happy birthday. Were I to change my life and become a carpenter or a plumber, I think I would be vastly more 
uh, rewarded because I'd be making more money. I'd have less stress. I'd be able to go home and look at something and say, I did that. I built that. It's done. I achieved that thing. Whereas so many things we do now are so amorphous, so hard to track. There's little reward and nothing but stress and continuous uh, bombardment with people wanting your time, your effort, your thoughts. And yet you don't really get much out of the deal unless you're making, you know, in the high threes, uh, you know, six figures, high threes, six figures in the, in the new Biden's Bidenomically driven America where inflation is off the charts, where to buy a, you know, the middle, the middle, the mean income that you need, like to buy a house in LA is something, you know, you gotta be making two family incomes with 150,000 each minimal to be able to afford a house, to live here. That's middle class here where I live. People are feeling it. And yet they know going to college is going to give them a degree that's worthless. And you can't expect to get paid that anymore. And now as these institutions collapse that are, by the way, the feeders to the Harvards of the world, to the Upenzibles, these stupid think tanks, they exist to take garbage in and put garbage out, but you're seeing them collapse. Ibram X. Kendi's trash university uh, funded think tank for whatever it was, you know, uh, blackening it up, blacking people up all the way around the world. That basically collapsed in on itself, despite funding from Twitter, from Jack Dorsey, from Boston University, because it produced nothing. It was trash in, it was trash out. The ESG movement, the DEI movements are collapsing themselves. HR departments now do not want to hire people. And I said, you know, the, it may be an academia they do, but outside of that, these large corporations are cutting back on those staffs. You know, I, the word is out that this has been a scam. So of course you don't want to go to these and spend all this money. And having leaders like these exist is not going to help them either. Public statements, public showings like this, where these people don't even have the ability they're getting paid really to do one thing, right? I guess look look pretty on camera and, and show them the patriarchy has been smashed. Your role here is to be able to take that spokesman role on and explain why the fundamentals of your college, your university exist and what they exist to do. At Harvard, staff and, and uh, you know, signed an open letter saying we have to defend these academic principles and I agree with them. But it's funny that they decide to do this in this case but in so many other cases, never mind. You're allowed to cancel speakers. You're allowed to harass and bully anybody that's on the right. You're allowed to intimidate the living hell out of people that dare disagree with you on BLM. You're allowed to uh, to cancel every Republican group or every libertarian group that wants to have an event or a speaker. It's ridiculous. The hypocrisy that's on display here. But, and it's a big but, I know it's hypocritical, but... We got to stand for what's right here. And what's right is having open dialogue, is having contentious debate, is being able to speak about issues. Yes, even when it's concerning a population group that has been historically attacked, historically uh, genocided themselves, but you got to be able to talk about it. And I'm sorry that people might be bringing up things that are very sensitive to you and aggressive to you, but there's reasons in the world that those are happening. If it crosses the line to a distinct intimidation and calls for violence against people on campus, then fucking take them out, kick them off, okay? Until it gets that point, shut the fuck up, 
come up with an argument and have a discourse about it. Because half the time, this DEI nonsense, the fact that these kids don't get pushed back on anything, whenever they protest, they Harvard just goes, go ahead, because they agree with it 99% of the time. And maybe they still do agree with this, right? Maybe they agree with everything they're saying. I don't know. I certainly agree with half of it. You know, I agree that Israel's overstepped its boundaries, and I do think there's a genocide going on in Palestine. But I'm not calling for a genocide against the Jewish people. But this happens to be the one time where they got in trouble. They put their foot in it. And these kids have never had any pushback. They never got told when they were chasing teachers around like they did with Brett Weinstein and others when they were locking Riley Gaines in for daring to be on a college campus when she's against trans athletes that are men competing against women well the students that locked her in the in the uh whatever it was the classroom the boardroom she was for four hours those kids didn't get boo well they might learn that they don't have any consequences for their actions that there is no dialogue and the only way that they solve the problems is to protest is to yell is to be fucking cocksuckers instead of talking to people and figuring out where these issues overlap how to solve them and what caused them in the first place So once again, this all comes back to the presidents. So that's what Claudine Gray and others should be resigning over. Not these statements. They should be resigning over what led to this discourse, what led to the breakdown, what led to ideological bubbles on campuses, because these fucking people are responsible. That actually, Cameron, I put a nice bow on that. I didn't know where I was going with it halfway through because I never do. You know me, baby. I roll it right off the tongue. All right, guys, let's talk about, uh, (laughs) let's talk about, I want to save Hillary Clinton for last. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the economy. Uh, There was an interesting poll that came out. And uh, you've seen, I saw some other people kind of keying on this as well. We had, we had tweeted it out, you know, Libertarian Party tweeted it out, of course, But this is pretty fascinating in that there is a poll that uh, was released targeting inflation specifically. And it was interesting because not only did it get into the complete dismantling of uh, the White House talking points about inflation, right, which are just nonsense based that they are telling us that Bidenomics is working and people just don't believe a a single word of it. And, And that's great. And for example... They're talking about people that are saying their standard of living is worse than their parents. Aged 18 to 29%, 39% said yes. Aged 30 to 64, where I fall, that's, again, the middle class is being absolutely destroyed by current policies. 51% said their standards of living is worse. Age 65 and plus, 40%. Now, that's a still a very high percentage of people saying their standard of living is worse when for the last 50 years, nothing's been been going you know, better than standard of living, if we're being perfectly honest. Technological advancements, health advancements, uh, just basic availability of food and medicine, that makes your life better. And everybody was enjoying the ride, right? Even if you're still poor, your standard of living was a hell of a lot better. And then that came to a nice screeching halt, starting with COVID. And of course, continuation through with Biden's horrible, horrific economic policies and a rollback of of energy and this green fossil bullshit. So they now are saying, so most difficult economic time, everybody's saying 50, 80, 65 and plus COVID shutdowns. So that's interesting because even people that were older going through some deep recession said COVID shutdowns were the worst economic time. 
all people, 39% said that. Uh, Post-pandemic right now, 22% and 20% age, all ages versus 65 plus. The Great Recession. Uh, and then, of course, going back to the 70s, 8% said that and 7% would be 65 plus. So that's pretty damn telling. You know, we think about some of the worst inflation that we can remember that happened within the country. You always talk about the 70s. You talk about people lined up to buy gas and how insane that was. And that was the steps that the Fed had to take, right, to basically raise the interest rates astronomically in order to curb inflation. Now, they have not done the same thing here, obviously. You need to get those inflation rates up, you know, those, those interest rates up 15, 20%. You know, they haven't done it. They're at 8%, I think, right now. So it's not under control. That much is clear. On top of that, Biden keeps spending our money, keeps giving our money away. Uh, there's, as I said, there's been zero uh, traction lowering our energy prices. At least in California, they're still astronomical, but that also ties in with energy dependence. So anyway, I'll move on. Another one going down here. Bidenomics likes to tell you that you are just stupid. And if you read articles in the New York Times and uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer and in the Atlantic, it was there was actually a funny meme, and I should have saved it from meme wars, but it went through telling you that first it said uh, inflation is not as bad as you think. Then it went and said, here, no, no, inflation is a good thing. Then it said something, God, there's a third one. And then the final one was inflation's your fault. So it goes through these levels of, of nonsense they're trying to convince you of until you get to the point where you, they, oh, it's, it's your fault that the everything's inflated because you're spending too much money. That was what they said, that we're spending too much money and that uh, it's really your fault for, for continuing to rack up your credit card bills. Meanwhile, it's not that people want to be racking up the credit card bills. It's that everything costs more and we don't have any money. So by way to tell the economy how the economy is doing, most people, 85% go by your own experiences, only 66% by national data. Mwah. Good morning, America. Thank you. Wake up. Is your income keeping up with inflation? Only 24% said yes, it is. 76 no, it isn't. That's obvious as well. And then scrolling down here, do you think rising interest rates, uh, raising interest rates to control inflation only 40% approved. Now, without a complete return to the gold standard and a complete halting of all our involvement with, with all these foreign wars and spending and reigning in uh, our deficit spending, that's really the key to fighting inflation here. But in the short term, raising interest rates is a primary way to fight inflation, as we discussed with the 70s. 60% of people disapprove of that. On the flip side... And this is the real scary one. Government setting price controls to control inflation. For Democrats, it shows you how moronic the level of Democrat understanding of history, of economics is. Even current events, when price controls are concerned, 80% of Democrats are buttfuck retarded because that's how many people approve of price controls. Now, I talk about current events. Just look to Venezuela. And you'll see this happening in real time. Argentina, uh, I'm not sure if they actually did price controls or not, but of course, with Javier Malay uh, slashing those, those you know, government institutions, which by the way, I was debating talking about that on this show. And I decided I want to wait because he just signed an order and I want to see what happens. I want to see what the response is. I want to see the public response. I want to see the government response. I want to see the public union sector response. And I want to see how it shakes out after a week. 
So I'll talk about that next week. We'll circle back to it. But 80% of Democrats, even though we saw, especially in Venezuela, price controls put on everything. Now, what happens? Well, they put price controls on items that are already scarce because of the government creating massive inflation, which causes scarcity because everything costs more. Goods and services are harder to buy, purchase. Ingredients cost way more. And now that the, the monetary system is so inflated, people can't keep up. So there's only a certain amount of goods that are going to be available. And if there are, then that's a good thing because that's going to make prices drop back down or you're going to find a way to, well, in, in the case of Venezuela, the government had completely destroyed their entire infrastructure as far as food delivery, supply delivery, water wasn't getting through. So there was really no saving it. But as soon as they did this, and I remember one distinct case was with bakeries. People wanted to buy bread. The bread was unbelievably expensive because there was a scarcity of product. The water and the food all cost an astronomical amount. And yet the government said, well, you can't charge whatever it was, you know, whatever astronomical amount they were charging out of necessity. Now we're going to put price controls on it. So what did they do? They put price controls on everything. The bread, which was incredibly expensive, all sold out immediately. And then there was no more bread. And there's no more ability to make bread because the business that businesses that could make the bread had gone out of business because it costs far too much to create that. So this is the idea. These morons think that the price controls are somehow going to help availability when all they do is create scarcity because you're attacking the people's ability to create the product. Anyway, 62% of independents approve of price controls. And to show you that I'm not just talking that only Democrats are economically uh, moronic, Republicans, 56% also approve price controls. Goes to show you that, yes, Republicans do have a wide, uneducated voter base just as well as the Democrats do. It just happens to be a little bit, uh, maybe a little more common sense. Probably because a lot of those people, you know why? Here's, here's where it probably breaks down, if we're being perfectly honest. Here's where this probably breaks down. The GOP has more working class people in it. The Democrats pretend to be working class, but really what they're made up of is primarily people that are going to be exceptionally poor. Those people don't know anything about economic price controls. They just want cheaper products. So they're going to say, put price controls on them. The elite people or the keyboard class have zero understanding of any economics and probably make enough money that they just want cheaper products. They don't really care. They don't understand it, but they also are not working to see the cost of products anywhere along the line of creation, right? They're nowhere in the mix creating any sort of good or service. They're not in a service industry or like a carpentry industry, let's say. Meanwhile, the GOP, a lot of those people are working with their hands. A lot of those people are in the mix, making a part of the process somewhere in the component line, creating actual goods, farming, building, et cetera, probably more of your GOP bases in that line of work. They get it because they see it. The Democrats, they only see the end product. They don't get it. That's just my pet theory. And then it asked uh, if inflation is a top problem. Yes, anyway, I, I won't get through this whole pool, but I thought that was pretty interesting and terrifying because if price controls, which is something that, by the way, Biden has floated because he's a fucking idiot. And 80% of their idiot base will buy it. And of course, they're desperate for votes and desperate for, for a bump in the polls. He's floated that idea for price controls for, I think, certain grocery items. 
Um, I don't think he's floated for gasoline at this point in time, but there were certain items that were on this suggested list. And it would just be catastrophe for all the reasons I just said. Okay, next thing. Oh, Biden, by the way, while we're talking about Biden, um, he just signed another $200 million gift to Zelensky. Zelensky was just in town at the White House, posing, you know, being frumpy, sitting with Biden. And of course, Biden assured him that, oh, don't worry, we got your back. We got your back, Jack. But at the same time, he also said something very interesting, which was that the U.S. ability to help Ukraine was basically drawing to a close. The U.S. is getting close to the end of its ability to aid Ukraine. Now, yeah, no shit. Uh, unless we were physically going to take action with our military, causing a potential World War III, and of course, this would in no way, shape, or form help the American population, nor has any of the money that we've sent over to Ukraine helped the American population. But of course, you're going to hit an end because Ukraine's losing this war. They've been losing for the past few months. Probably since day one, if we're being perfectly honest, our people are now encouraging them to sit down and negotiate, though Biden hasn't said that out loud here. Zelensky, flat out, by the way, had said they reject any sort of sit down because, of course, he's a corrupt now dictator who has gotten rid of the religion, the freedom of speech, other political parties, uh, mainstream media outlets have all been converged into one state media, and he jails other people that are reporting on anything outside. Like there's a reporter right now, I was reading on Twitter, uh, Elon Musk had brought it up again, good good feed. This reporter who's been jailed apparently for creating videos online. Now, if there's any merit to what they're saying, they're saying that he's you know undermining this and that, and that you know, certain things are false and he's denying that uh, certain attacks happen and the number of people killed. I don't know if there's merit to those claims or not. What I do know is that I don't believe a single thing coming out of Ukraine. It's all propaganda. Even what's true is propaganda. So, of course, I don't believe a, a goddamn word of it. But, of course, we're going to hit a point where there's no longer any aid we can provide to these people unless we're going to send in troops, which would immediately, I think, be met with revolt, flat-out revolt here at home. Nobody's signing up their kids to go over there. The military already has problems with recruiting for obvious reasons. And Biden knows this. It's an incredibly unpopular war at this point. But yet, he wants to give them $200 million more. Good job. Now, people are so upset with Biden, with Bidenomics, with Hillary Clinton, oh, I'm sorry, with, with Bidenomics, with the inflationary numbers, with Ukraine support war, and with his doddering incompetence that the Democratic Party has hit such a low, they will be turning to Hillary Clinton. Now, Hillary Clinton was such an unlikable figure that she lost to Donald Trump, let me remind you. And the Democrats are turning to Hillary because they said they think that her appeal with women voters is somehow going to bring people to Biden, right? Her popularity with the Democratic base, which I don't even know how popular she is, if she's still that popular. I think she's probably lost a little bit of that along the way. I think even Hillary has become too cloying, too pathetic, too desperate, and too much of an obvious shill. The collapsing of the Clinton Global Initiative should have told everybody just what a fucking shill she and Bill both were for uh, corruption and influence when she was working as the Secretary of State and how the 85% drop in funding that their initiative got as soon as she lost the election. Pretty clear. But if you need to bring Hillary Clinton in to appeal to women Democrat voters when you're going against Donald Trump, I don't know what possible hope you have 
Those people should already be there voting for you no matter what, right? Like trying to pry female Democrats, right? This is why we say, you know, progressive white women are are the absolute nemeses of everything good in the world. These women are going to vote for Biden no matter what. And if they're not, if they're not, that means a couple things. It means number one, that probably progressive policies from the Democratic Party have hurt their family and their children. Look at what's happening with the DEI crap in schools. Look at what's happening with critical race theory. Look at what's happening with trans. Look at what's happening with this, you know, this ultra woke push to sexualize everything and, you know, pick your gender and age in kindergarten and also COVID. Shutting down everything over COVID, the unions teaming up to say fuck you to parents and ruin children for a generation. I did a show talking about how they're claiming that a whole generation of kids is going to basically be need to put it on welfare or UBI, right? Co- coincidental uh, benefit for the Democrats. But maybe they're playing a the long game, guys. But I know a lot of women even in LA that it woke up. COVID woke them up. My wife and I were just talking about this. COVID woke them up. If COVID could do this under the auspices of government, if they can lie to us and shut us down and attack your children and the government under the Democrats just kept on doubling down on it, can't be supported. Now, Donald Trump, also a piece of garbage, of course, had pushed uh, COVID shutdowns as well, still defends the vaccines to this day. He ain't much better. But at least I think people look at the ongoing fight with the Democrats and they say, this, I can't tolerate this anymore. So if you've lost those female voters, either over education, inflation, household pricing, whatever it might be, Hillary Clinton ain't bringing them back. I'll tell you that. Nothing Hillary Clinton is going to say or do other than Seth Riching them, right? They go up and, and, and threaten them directly is going to bring those people back. And What is doubly funny is at the same time, the Democrats are apparently turning to Hillary Clinton to boost Biden's numbers. (laughs) Just just, just saying it out loud is funny. (laughs) That's not going to work. At the same time, there's a book that's coming out with a very funny statement from Bill Clinton in it. And this is on... uh, uh, from a, a book called The Squad, AOC and the Hope of a Political Revolution by Ryan Grimm of The Intercept just came out last week. And he says that the former president, Bill Clinton, tore into his wife's campaign as it was floundering for, inef- for being ineffective communicators, which they were uh, offensive communicators, as was Trump, by the way. But, you know, what everything Hillary Clinton said was just uh, obnoxious. DNC nonsense talking points, doubling down on crap that we, you know, people are bored with. But he said specifically that they couldn't sell pussy on a troop train. So there you go. Biden is bringing in the same woman who could not sell pussy on a troop train, according to her own husband. You got to love it. All right. Last thing, guys, let's wrap it up on uh, talking about this section or I'm sorry, FISA section 702. Now, by the time this comes out, I think they might even be voting the morning of um, for this, this hearing on the approval of the new NDAA. Of course, that is the military 
budget. Now, Mike Lee has been pushing back on this, trying to stop this vote, trying to get in protections. I think Jim Jordan also has one, essentially reigning in the surveillance that is the surveillance has built in here. Now, what they did in this most recent application that they're trying to push through in accordance with you know a 3,000-page bill that's got all this other crap in it, as they always do, which is why it's vitally important that they break these bills apart. Vitally important that this happens. But within this new FISA context of 702, they now have added in a, uh, a part of it, which I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially it redefines who can and cannot be compelled by the FBI with a warrant, right? In the case of trying to like, you know, like Apple or Google or something like that, as a provider of internet, they're talking about, at least previously, talking about people who had been uh, essentially ISPs or working, you know, I said, like an Apple, where, they, okay, we're gonna, we need, want to get in your phone, right? And Apple's, I mean, told them to screw off. I'm not sure if they caved on that or not. The backdoor fight's been one that's been ongoing. This would redefine and expand the definition of a wireless provider to include people that create devices like Wi-Fi routers. And that opens it up to just, I mean, you talk about opening Pandora's box for what these these warrants could could get. And let's not forget the FBI, which we've been told has been reined in, of course, no measurable come up and says come for any of the discretions uh, or indiscretions and violations that the FBI has already done and been found guilty for thousands and thousands of them. We found this out, of course, during Russiagate and the ongoing uh, investigations about that. FISA courts just rubber stamping any government requests whatsoever. FBI, I think they turned on something like 3% of all FISA requests and there were thousands of them. So this now would enable the government depending on this interpretation, which of course the government interpretation is always going to be the broadest interpretation that benefits government would enable people like, you know, that had a Wi-Fi router in a coffee shop at a baseball stadium where, you know, millions of people are using it yearly at a, you know, there's even Wi-Fi routers on traffic lights. Remember there was a big to do because a uh, device called a stinger was able to basically hack into Wi-Fi or, or remote devices without permission and police departments were using these to track people and that got slapped down because it's blatantly unconstitutional in violation of the fourth amendment this little darling would open up wi-fi routers to be essentially uh you know open game for the fbi should they want to interpret it that way which they clearly do so People like Mike Lee, like Thomas Massey, uh, I've seen a few others speak out against this and are saying we can't pass this bill. Now, do I think that this bill is going to pass? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, Congress is made up of gutless morons and the all the other crap that they want in this bill will rubber stamp it. And let's not forget, too, that the vast, vast majority of Democrats and Republicans are big state, big government, zero privacy, pro-surveillance. They're not going to have a problem with it, as long as it funds the military especially. So I don't have high hopes for this, but it's worth noting. And hopefully, even if this crap passes, you can get something forthcoming from a Jordan, a Massey, a Lee that might be able to, to gut it again and try to pull it back down. All right, guys, I think that's probably going to wrap it up. Let's see if I have anything else I've left out. We talked about Hillary. We talked about Harvard. We talked about 
our section 702. We talked a little bit about Malay. As I said, I'm going to punt that to next episode because I want to see what happens after you sliced and diced it. Um, I think, by the way, Libertarian Party just announced a deep, a uh, defeat the deep state rally is happening in Washington, D.C., February 17th and 18th. And uh, the timing couldn't be better. You know, we're talking about Section 702 here in the FISA. We're talking about the deep state expanding its surveillance powers unconstitutionally. Yes, the deep state is the greatest threat to our democracy, if you believe democracy, our republic, our way of living. They are the biggest threat. That doesn't matter who is elected. The deep state's there. They are the gears that turn the war machine. They are the gears that turn the uh, attacks on your civil liberties, and they are ever-present. So, if you're interested in that, check it out. I just uh, put out the press release about that today. Of course, go to you know Libertarian website. Got all the information there as well. Hopefully, we get a nice big turnout. Otherwise, guys, thank you for checking us out. Don't forget to subscribe. If you don't hit the notification button on YouTube, you will not see the video. We are badly, badly shadow banned on there and have been for decades. No, not a decade. Almost a decade, actually. It might be a decade. Um, that's the penalty you pay when you're a forerunner, when you've been around a long time. You just don't have the reach. They they have walled us in. So it sucks. Uh, a lot of other people have come up on YouTube, uh, specifically on YouTube, blown up on YouTube. We are in our box because they will not allow our, you know, 6,500 subscribers to see our stuff. That number just kind of stays st- statically ever since they started to to shadow ban us and to uh, to blacklist us. So guys, need you to help out. Subscribe, hit notify. That way you see the content. And subscribe to the podcast. All right, bye. From me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from me and H Daydream. Always keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.